the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you kindly, and welcome to the Tuesday after Labor Day and uh, trust under the circumstances. A friend of mine from uh, down in Texas Way sent a note, wanted to know how my Labor Day went. Well, aside from COVID-19, searing heat, and lung-piercing smog, it was delightful. <laughs> but that's that's life in California these days, I guess. Well, on that very uplifting, <laughs> positive note, uh, do forgive me and welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. We're here Monday through Friday addressing issues that impact your life, your world. We'll do more of that today. And of course, some big part of our emphasis today is to begin to get you prepped for the elections. And I know this is going to be perhaps the longest election of our lifetime. Not only that some of the candidates have been running for office for seemingly the last four years since the last election that we had, but then when you couple in, of course, the layers of complexity related to COVID-19 and um, the whole business of ballots, well, we have to get used to doing a slightly different election this year. Probably good to get into your mind now that if you're one of those that likes to pop popcorn when you get home from the polling place, turn on the TV at 8 o'clock and know the outcome of the election by the time you go to bed at 11, that probably will not at all describe your experience on Tuesday, November the 3rd. In fact, if anything, it may be several days, maybe a week, before we have the final outcome. No, I don't think it's going to be a year. In fact, there are some constitutional aspects that require we have to have a solid decision much sooner than that. Certification of the election and, of course, the impact of the little thing called the Constitution come uh, January notwithstanding. So all of that said, we're going to spend some time focusing on elections on this edition of Lifeline. And we start out with the one that seems to be sort of the, I, I don't know whether this is the Trojan horse, the camel peeking its nose underneath uh, the tent flap or what the deal is, though in many respects some look at Proposition 22 as an attempt to repair the damage done by AB5 created by the California State Legislature, which, of course, has as its number one goal in mind uh, providing answers to problems and questions we didn't even know existed. And, and why not? I mean, to be distracted by things like 14% unemployment and a $54 billion budget shortfall? Nah, it's too routine-sounding. <laughs> well, as we lead off the program today... We are joined by a celebrated syndicated talk show host, best-selling author, one of the sharpest minds I know when it comes to understanding the founder's original intent in relationship to our Constitution, 
That's Bob Zadek. Bob is the host of the Bob Zadek Show, broadcast here in the San Francisco Bay region every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. on our sister station AM, I'm sorry, uh, 860 AM, The Answer. And Bob, as always, great to have you with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Craig. It's always my pleasure. You know, it, it strikes me, as I suggest in my opening remarks, that um, what Prop 22 is attempting to do is address issues related to Assembly Bill 5, which really seem to be uh, a, 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 a solution in search of a problem, as they say. Um, now, we all know that there are circumstances where employers intentionally misclassify employees, and they do that because... They want to avoid paying health care benefits, vacations, sick leave benefits, unemployment, things of this sort. I, I understand all of that. But there are laws in the books that allow the state to deal with employers like that. But what they've done instead, instead of looking at the individual violators here, they said, Let, let's just create a blanket law that says, if you are a part of the so-called gig economy, if you are an independent contractor, boom, we wave the magic wand, you no longer are, lucky you, now you get to have all of the full benefits of employment just like the rest of us. And, of course, the problem with that is that it's assumptive that every single person who works in the so-called gig economy really wants to be a full-time employee if it weren't for these mean evil companies preventing them from doing so so dive into this i know that you've dealt with this on a recent recent edition of the bob zadek show dive into this if you would for us and help us understand exactly what's at the heart of proposition 22 more specifically ab5 and 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 what really is is the short-sightedness of all this Rarely have voters in any jurisdiction, and we are talking about California, rarely have voters in any jurisdiction, including California, had such a clear opportunity to vote for freedom. To vote for freedom. That's what Prop 22 is all about. Uh, living amongst us are our friends, fellow citizens, who have found for many, for tens of thousands of them, the perfect way to make money. They have discovered the genius of Uber, Lyft, and the other participants in the gig economy. Uber and Lyft and the rest of the gig economy, for the first time ever, workers get a chance to design and decide how many hours they choose to work, how hard they choose to work. They don't need any training. They need no license other than a driver's license. They, In the case of Uber and Lyft, they don't even need a car. They will be supplied a car. They are not told what neighborhood to work in. They are not, And they have total freedom. It is the perfect way for these workers, for these workers to take four idle hours when they have nothing to do, between shifts at work, a day off, temporarily laid off, retired but want to make a few extra dollars, providing, Craig, you and I, exactly what we need, which is transportation from point A to point B. Here you have the classic willing seller and willing buyer, and that the the utter 
the imbeciles in the state of California decided that this arm's length transaction, which brings together two strangers, one who is willing to take me exactly where I want to go in a clean car with almost always pleasant conversation in total comfort at a price I'm willing to pay at exactly when I want to go there. They are willing to, a total stranger is willing to take me from my home to my doctor's appointment and then somebody else will take me back waiting only seconds. And to me, I don't have to worry. I don't have to buy a car. I don't have to worry about finding transportation. It's there. Well, that brilliant product of the customer gets exactly what they need and want. The supplier of that service gets to do exactly what they want to do. And the people who pass the legislators, specifically Lorraine Gonzalez from San Diego, decided, no, Mr. Uber driver, you have a crappy job, she said that publicly, and I will save you. I will save you from the perfect job, and I will force you to work either no hours or 35 hours, and I will give you benefits that maybe you don't even need. Health insurance, well, your spouse has health insurance, and you're covered. No, no, that's not good enough. We will get you health insurance, and we will get you all these benefits that the driver doesn't want. And remember, every driver in Uber and Lyft is not there because their life was threatened. They are there because they looked at the landscape and they said, that is the perfect activity for me. They're not insane. They're not drunk. They're not coerced. They are free and exercising the freedom over how they spend their time and how they earn money. Exercising freedom, they decided to give me, the customer, exactly what I want. And that, and Uber and Lyft puts together two strangers, a willing seller and a willing buyer. And those morons in Sacramento decided that relationship, willing buyer, willing seller, happy to be on either side of that transaction, is against the law. Prop 22 tells Sacramento, stuff it. Give us back our freedom, our freedom to contract. If any worker in Uber decides they are underpaid or they want more benefits, then they go and find another job. They go and work for a cab company. For so long as cab companies exist, they have options. There is no coercion. There are plenty of jobs in California. And, and before I leave my opening comment, I will point out that there are a declining number of jobs in this country that provide good pay for people without any particular marketable skill. Not Uber, not Lyft. You got a driver's license, you're in business. And you get the feeling of being your own boss. You work your own hours where you want to work. So you take people who never aspired to have any control over their work life, and you give them control until Sacramento takes it away under the guise of protection. That's protection, well, and Craig. And, well, and, and what's ironic about this is, I mean, not only does it rob people of the ability to enjoy 
a sense of independence. They have, as you mentioned at the get-go, flexible hours, more control. You know, I will tell you, as somebody who is a salaried employee, um, I get some nice benefits. I get paid vacation. I get sick leave. I get contributions to my 401k. I get a nice paycheck. And in exchange, I'm expected to show up for a specific number of hours on specific days, and the boss generally gets to make those decisions. And he does it because he's paying me for the privilege. It is a wonderful job, one that I that I dearly love and have for many years. Um, is it one that I would describe as giving me total freedom, total flexibility, total independence? Absolutely not. But it's a arrangement, an agreement that I've entered into willingly. Likewise, as you're suggesting, Bob, Many of those that are engaged in work on a part-time basis with um, anywhere from, you know, Uber, as you mentioned, or DoorDash, some of these others, certainly Lyft, uh, have entered into these arrangements voluntarily so because they like the flexibility, they like the additional uh, control that it gives them, an opportunity to not work very hard, pick up some extra money, and do so on their terms. And, you know, I, I guess it's important to remind people in Sacramento, not every paper boy delivers newspapers because daddy wouldn't make him the company vice president. In some cases, they do it because that's exactly what they want to do. And not only that, but Craig, there is no exploitation. And the complaint is that the drivers are, well, money, the fake complaints are, one is, the drivers make sub-minimum wage. That's, by the way, not true. But I don't want to, I don't want to belabor that. That's just a hype put out by Sacramento. But here's the point. If I, if I wanted to drive my own taxi cab and get my own taxi cab license as in, totally independent, I could get a license, buy a cab, get the insurance, and sit at the airport for three hours and hope somebody gets into my cab. And that business, or drive the streets, burning up gasoline, drive the streets in my own car, beating up my own car in the hopes of making enough. But so I have, if anybody needs protection, it's the owner operators, but they don't need protection because they're also doing it voluntarily uh, because that's what they choose to do. There is no difference, Craig, between the life of an independent cab driver and the life of a Uber independent cab driver, except the Uber guy doesn't have to sit at the airport for three hours and hope somebody gets into the cab. He goes where his phone app tells him to go, and he's going to be busy a larger percentage of the time. But most importantly, Craig, most importantly to your listeners, and I know to you and to me, this is about freedom. If two grown-ups make a decision to enter into an employment agreement without coercion, and both are informed and making mutually beneficial decisions, Craig, mutually beneficial then the law has nothing to say about it. This is about economic freedom, the right to earn an honest living. And if honest living means using an app to help you find customers, that's what Sacramento is now criminalizing. That's what they are criminalizing. And Not only that, and, and Craig, if I may, one more comment. So they passed this sweeping statute, AB5, that said basically part-time work, you go to prison. 
basically. Now, what happened was a lot of professions were swept in, even though the target was Uber and Lyft. And so you had nurses. Nurses work part-time. They said, we're all out of work. Accountants, architects said, we're all going to be out of work. Well, Gonzalez, the sponsor of the bill, said, oops, didn't mean you, and she gave them an exemption. Just, two di- just a week ago, Craig, the musicians and translators, interpreters, writers, and photographers said, we're out of business. They just passed special legislation in Sacramento to give them an exemption. Notice what's happening. Powerful pressure groups, musicians, translators, interpreters, go and get special favors. So everybody gets a special favor except Uber and Lyft drivers because they're not organized enough to have particular power. So now you have cronyism, and now you have the ugly bribery where pressure groups buy exemptions from a law that nobody should be subject to, but now the rule is you're subject to the law unless you can buy your way out of it through your lobbyists. It's, It's legislation at its ugliest. It's government at its ugliest. And we see it here before our eyes in California, and Prop 22 is our chance as customers, as drivers, to strike one blow for economic freedom. That's all this is about. And the other issue at hand here, too, as you've suggested, Bob, is that clearly, rather than saying, whoops, we think we made a mistake, let's pull this off the books ascertain whether or not we really fixed the problem or have created several others. Now, instead now, what you're telling me is they're going to attempt to try and correct the error slice by slice, very piecemeal. So if you have control, have influence in Sacramento, have a lobbyist there and can get your particular work classification or industry a a favor done, you can maybe escape the requirements of AB5. If not, for the rest of you, even though perhaps you've entered into this voluntarily, it's given you financial independence, it gives you an additional way to make some more money, it allows the consumer to be able to enjoy the convenience of transportation at a price that's affordable. Let's not muddy the waters with details. Sacramento decided, we have a problem, we're going to fix it. And now, of course, they've created an even bigger problem. Bob Zadek is with us. He, of course, is the host of the Bob Zadek Show, heard every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. here in the San Francisco Bay Area at 8.60 a.m. The Answer. You can check out more information about Bob and his great program by going to bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Bob, as we mentioned, is a prolific writer. Um, His most recent book, Secret Sauce, The Founder's Original Recipe for Limited American Democracy is available through his website. Other resources, too, including recent podcasts, even one that he did on this very topic of Proposition 22 and the short-sightedness of AB5. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more comments from Bob Zadek as this edition of Lifeline continues. Get your look at traffic now, 524. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Welcome back to the conversation. You know, I, I guess at first glance, it seems impressive when the 500-pound gorilla in the room um, is beating its chest and demonstrating his sense of, of power, which is what the <laughs> folks in Sacramento seem to be doing when they passed Assembly Bill 5. Uh, but, of course, it's had many unintended consequences exacerbated by the current economic crisis here in California. And instead of providing the means by which people can be sure to get health care benefits, it's simply going to, if it's allowed to stand as it is, guarantee that more people will have less access to a side income which for a lot of folks these days is the make-it-or-break-it income. A lot of folks are working a full-time job, still not able to make ends meet, maybe out there doing a side job working for Uber or Lyft in order to close an income gap because the spouse in the family has lost a job. And rather than taking any of those things into consideration, we instead have, in a very impressive fashion, the Attorney General saying our state and workers shouldn't have to foot the bill when big businesses try to skip out on their responsibilities, and, and so on and so forth. And, of course, as we're learning, um, the danger of unintended consequences might be a good um, secondary title to California Proposition 22 that will be on the ballot this November that will attempt to deal with this effort where they thought they were going to try to get the big businesses to straighten up and fly right and deal with the misclassification of employees so that they um, are sure to pay a fair wage and fair benefits. But as I mentioned in my earlier remarks to Bob Zadek, who's with us in this segment of the program, of course his show airs in the San Francisco Bay Area and across the country here locally, um, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. live on 8.60 a.m. The Answer. And as I mentioned to the Bob a moment ago, you know, not every paper boy who delivers papers does so because Daddy wouldn't give him a full-time job in the family business. Maybe they're doing it because they like the exercise. Maybe they're doing it because they want that sense of independence. Maybe they're doing it because they like the hours. None of those issues ever came and apparently crossed the minds of those in the California State Legislature when Assembly Bill 5 was passed and the governor signed it. It was just all about strapping on the cape and pretending as if they are a temporary hero here. And, of course, one thing that we haven't touched on, Bob, and that is that if this is allowed to stand, if California's Proposition 22 does not pass by voters this coming November, uh, this will embolden the state, and you will, at the end, see fewer jobs... More lobbying in Sacramento as they cut out these special classifications for all these other gig economies who have otherwise been negatively impacted by AB5. And in the end, the final thing that it will do, higher prices for customers. And oftentimes that means, you know what, if it costs just as much to hail a taxi cab, I might go that route or um, just stay at home. And not only higher prices, but no service a com a service that was not provided 
we were standing on corners, waving our hands in the rain, hoping to get the attention of a cab driver, or calling and being put on hold by some taxi cab monopoly trying to get a cab in the rain. No one, most, many people don't even remember the bad old days before this essential service of Lyft and Uber. And let's not forget two important points. The reason for criminalizing Uber and Lyft is only the economic power of the unions in progressive state government. The unions hate Uber and Lyft because the drivers are fiercely independent and cannot be unionized, and they are independent contractors. It is the opposite of collectivism in the unions. Unions despise it because to them, when people catch on, the joys of being independent of a union, more and more employees will want that opportunity. And this is running your life free of government and free of unions. And for government to say, we have to protect you against yourself, because these drivers made an uncoerced decision. This was the best way for them to spend their time. Uncoerced. Nobody pressured them to do it. They could have worked for salary, or if they could have found the work, but if they have less than full-time available, this is a wonderful way to make money during your spare time and pay taxes along the way. This doesn't harm the government. So the government is doing this to protect the unions and to deny people independence. Understand, governments hate independence. They hate it because independence means independence from government control. The very word independence, that's what it means in a political context. Independent from government. And that's what Uber drivers are. And a vote for Prop 2022 is a vote for independence and a vote for freedom. Give people the right to choose how they want to earn money. They don't. And, and by the way, one more thing. Uber and Lyft have been accused. The word exploitation is always is often used by the left. Exploitation. Union, who could Uber be exploiting? Uber has never made money. Therefore, they are overpaying their suppliers, overpaying their drivers. They are starving, and we benefit. They charge too little for their service, and they pay their drivers too much, not too little. That's why Uber cannot make money. I love it that in the short run, whenever Uber is losing money, it means it's money in my pocket because the cure is I have to pay more. So everything one knows about economics knows that Uber is everything that makes uh, the American economy powerful. It's entrepreneurship, it's independence, it's willing buyer, willing seller, no government interference, and technology and innovation creating a new service that everybody values at a price people are willing to pay. You cannot get more American than that. And then we have AB5 that tries to snuff it all out. Snuff out everything about the American economy that makes 
it prosper and thrive and provide our services. And it creates competition. And competition, Craig, means one thing. Businesses falling all over themselves to give us exactly what you and I want at the price we want to pay. I love cutthroat competition because it's competition to give me what I want. I love when people are competing to give me what I want. It puts a smile on my face and a spring in my step. And at the end of the day, if the drivers for Uber or Lyft or DoorDash at all uh, find the business practices of said company, take your pick, to be so egregious that it is intolerable, there's also a liberty and a freedom that they have. They can simply say, that's it. I won't do this anymore. And if enough people make that decision, that will be the end of Uber or Lyft at all. And so there is a power that's already there, the power to the customer, as well as in this case, to the independent employee or or, uh, individual, rather, uh, to vote with their feet. And, And that's another reality that, sadly, the folks in Sacramento have lost sight of. Bob Zadek program, Sunday mornings. Go ahead, Bob. Sorry. One last quick observation. The employer-employee relationship is the most complex on earth. Millions of different kinds of employees, different needs, different abilities, different kinds of employment environments. You cannot legislate that. There's too many combinations. It cannot be top-down. Employers and employees ought to work it out themselves for their mutual benefit. Well, and at the end of the day, as you indicated, when you start having lobbyists coming in and they have to uh, coerce Sacramento into this exemption and carve out that exemption in order to make it work, clearly there's something wrong here at the very core. Again, information available. You can check out Bob Zadek's program at bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K, bobzadek.com. The show Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. broadcast here locally at 860 a.m. The Answer. We invite you to check that out. Tune in. More resources and information, again, available at Bob's website, bobzadek.com, including information regarding California Proposition 22. All right, we take this brief time out. We'll come back with more as Lifeline continues. Right now, though, let's get you an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. We're discussing, of course, the election. And uh, this is a pivotal one that I think certainly within my own lifetime. uh, And I've said this before, and I've had listeners email and say, Craig, you've said in past years that this is the most important election of our lifetime. And and maybe that's because the stakes uh, keep getting higher, the situation keeps getting more dire, and as a result, each subsequent election becomes greater and more important than the one before. And so that said, I think it's fair to say that so far, this is the most important election of our lifetime. And yet there's a tremendous amount of fear out there. And in many respects, um, that fear can be used to manipulate people into staying away from the polls, not voting, even be, uh, be it by absentee, and therefore not being fully participatory, participatory, do that in English, not therefore being fully participatory in this business of self-governance. And this is our responsibility. This is not something that we just get to do. It's something that we have to do 
because we are one of the few countries on earth where we don't have a king, we don't have a monarchy, we don't take orders from somebody up on top. We, the people, decide for ourselves. And so going to the ballot box, voting, and fully participating is a part of that process of self-governance. And, of course, though, some people are fearful, well, we don't want to talk about this in mixed company. Some churches are fearful to even encourage people, to encourage their members to go out and vote for fear that they may run against some IRS policy and and suddenly lose their nonprofit status. Let's get some clarification. Constitutional lawyer Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute joins us. How important is it, in your opinion, Counselor, for Americans to vote, and how much leeway do we have in terms of talking about the importance of such matters in a church context? As far as the importance of it, Craig, uh, several people ask themselves uh, several questions. One is, how important is it to stop the, the genocide, the murder of about 900,000 unborn babies a year? Uh, because we're one Supreme Court justice away from reversing Roe versus Wade and bringing this back to the states. This election will decide whether or not those votes are there um, and whether or not it goes back to the states. If it goes back to the states, we know that that number will be cut in half or even more than that, more dramatically. So there's hundreds of thousands of innocent babies on the ballot, literally on the ballot. That is in and of itself, that's, that's overwhelming. Second is um, freedom of worship and religious freedom. So we had three very important decisions come out of the Supreme Court, uh, narrowly decided, they were not unanimous, dealing with religious freedom. We have more decisions that will be coming down dealing with religious freedom, including the ability for churches not to be treated like second-class institutions while everyone else is able to open and churches are not, uh, places of worship are not. That's very important. Uh, those cases are making their way up to the Supreme Court, and who appoints the next justice is going to have a pivotal uh, impact on how that pans out. So those two alone are just are huge. And then, uh, of course, you also have... Uh, other basic liberties like freedom of speech and a society that will allow people to speak without um, having to uh, relinquish their, their, you know, to hide what they say. And then, of course, uh, safety, law, and order um, is very important for so many of the inner cities right now uh, where it is just, there's mayhem and it's growing and growing. Uh, and then that's also on the ballot as well, whether we're going to have a leader that, that treats them as criminals and prosecutes them as criminals or appeases them and and encourages them on, which unfortunately we've seen too much. And, you know, one of the issues here at play, too, is to understand and be mindful of how critical local elections are as well. We just spent some time here on the program talking about Assembly Bill 5, Proposition 22, and yeah. how that when we think about voting, it's not just at the national level. We typically think of, you know, Congress and uh, the president, things of that sort, but be mindful, too, that who winds up being your city council member may become the next member of the um, perhaps board of supervisors of your your uh, county that becomes then the next assembly member and on up the line. So these decisions have impact uh, across a very broad swath. 
give us the the guidelines, if you will, in a word for pastors who are fearful. And uh, it's not unusual every year for somebody to send out false information to churches and warn them against talking about elections, things of that sort. What's the bottom line on this? Bottom line is that, first off, parents, uh, pastors should not operate on, on fear and not be pleased with the men, pleased with God. That's first. But second, the reality is uh, churches are free to, to register all their voters. They can have voter registration table in the back. Number two, they can have voter uh, uh, guides uh, that are provided and are made available to many organizations, giving how candidates feel on, on the issues. Uh, number three, they can have ballot gathering Sundays or harvesting Sundays or that these are these are where people bring in their ballots to the church, their absentee ballots or mail-in ballots, bring them into the church, put them in a box, and the church then uh, then brings them to a polling place. If they want information on how to do this, our staff are ready to do it. We have a pastor liaison, Peter Mord, on staff. He's a pastor himself uh, to walk through pastors on how to do this. Uh, we'll even come and appear at pastor conferences and meetings. Uh, up and down the state to give them this information. The bottom line, though, is is they cannot be silent. We have already seen what happens when churches are complacent and silent. What happens is their rights are taken away, they're shut down, and the gospel is silent. That is not acceptable. So we're either going to be pleased with the men, or we're going to be pleased with God, and we're going to maintain our ability to proclaim the gospel and, and worship and to minister to our communities, and that is not going to happen uh, very easily if the status quo continues and we have another pandemic or another pandemic. This needs to be brought to a halt, and part of that is getting our people to vote and uh, elect legislators uh, that are balanced and respectful to all people, including people of faith and institutions of faith like churches. Information available online at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Resources available there, too, for pastors so that you fully understand what your rights and obligations are in relationship to this critical topic. pacificjustice.org. Our thanks to Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer and the founder and president of Pacific Justice Institute, for that update. 550 from KFAX, Silica Traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, I want to walk through more of the propositions if we can. Oh, one at a time here. There you go. He just gets greedy for airtime. It's amazing. (laughs) All right. I want to walk through some of the details in relationship to uh, more of the propositions here. We've just talked about Proposition 22 a few moments ago, but there are others that you need to be aware of. Joining me now is Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, host of Life Matters, heard every Sunday, uh, Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. And Brian, great to have you with us. There are a number of critical ballot propositions before voters this coming November. And and ironically, some of them are going to be, uh, what was the old Yogi Berra phrase? Deja vu all over again. <laughs> they will look yeah. very familiar. Tell us a bit about what's going on. Walk us through, in your opinion, some of the more critical ones that voters need to be aware of. Yes, Craig, exactly right. And, and several of these uh, are directly related to the life issue. One in particular, of course, is Proposition 14, and many will remember that there was a ballot proposition back in 2004 
that got really $6 billion. It was 3.3, but then they stored it, set it aside, and got interest. They got $6 billion for one purpose, for medical experimentation using embryos, human embryos, and for creating human embryos, cloning. But they said, we won't call it clones if you kill them and then use the body parts. Bizarre form of medicine. It's been commented on before. It's rather Frankensteinian. And that is the use of other human beings for medical purposes, even if ostensibly good medical purposes, is unethical on its face. But more importantly, what happened with that ballot proposition? They got all that money, and they spent it all, and they got nothing. As they say, as they say, they got nothing. In fact, all they got, and we've talked about it before, and that that particular proposition will go into depth this coming Saturday at eleven on Life Matters. Spend a lot of time on it. It's fascinating. But just know this: they want more of your tax money. They can't get the money. They can't get it from from Wall Street, even though regular stem cell research is very successful. Wall Street will invest in adult stem cell research because it works. So the only place they can get this money is by misrepresenting things to the citizens, and it's really bad news. So that's Prop 14. California Pro-Life recommends a no on that. A couple of others really quick, though, and all of these are going to be no's. Prop 15 is very important because what it does is it changes the taxation system, and it uses the children, of course. Let's help the kids in school. But it gives literally billions more to our schools, our government schools, and we're just not comfortable doing that because there's no accountability anymore. And we already know that the California school system, way back when you and I were young, if you recall, we had the, the lotto introduced. And Californians didn't like the idea initially, but they said, no, it's for the schools. It's going to help with the facilities. It's going to be great. And so the lotto came into existence, and they have violated existing health and safety code because according to those, excuse me, the education codes, you're supposed to be using that money for the facilities. But instead, the NEA, the teachers' union, have taken that money for other education purposes, and really what it is is ideological purposes. That money's been squandered. So they want more, and that's in Prop 15. We recommend a no. Prop you know, and, and let me add something to that, Brian, too, if yeah. I might, regarding uh, Proposition uh, 15, and, and that is that there's something even more insidious at play here, because this is part A of a two-part attempt. Uh, if they are mm-hmm. able to pass Proposition 15, uh, you know, on the surface, it's always the altruistic money for education, so on and so forth. What they want to do, essentially, is they want to remove all of the Proposition 13 protections that commercial and industrial properties enjoy so that they are suddenly now taxed at the full market value. Well, not least of which, as unfriendly as California is to businesses, do we really think in the middle of a pandemic and an economic crisis and 14% unemployment and a $54 billion budget shortfall that it's wise to say to the very employers of the state, 
Well, we don't care how much you pay in property taxes on your building, because believe me, you're going to pay them. And let's be very clear about this, that much like tariffs, those will not be paid by the business owners. The business owners will simply incorporate the additional property taxes, and we're talking in the millions of dollars every year. That will be passed on to consumers, which means you and I are going to pay for it. Many of these businesses that are on the edge right now that are barely surviving, the minute a landlord comes along and says, you know that little restaurant you're renting from me? Well, I hate to do this to you, but your rent is going to go up X number of thousands of dollars because even though I've owned the building for 30 years, I'm now paying full market value in property taxes. This is one of the most anti-consumer measures to come along in a long time. And believe me, if Proposition 15 passes, they will come after your property taxes next. So, yes, a, a very hearty no on Proposition 15. Brian, can you stay with us for a couple of minutes? Certainly. Certainly. There's some other propositions that I, I, I want to get to, but I don't want to be rushed. We're right up against the top of the hour here, so let's do this. Let's get you an update Perfect. on some traffic. We're going to come back to more of our visit. Brian Johnston is with us, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, and we are talking about a number of critical ballot propositions that will be coming before you, the voters, on Tuesday, November the 3rd. We take this time out, get you updated on traffic, then back with more of the conversation here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Brian Johnston with us, of course, host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. He's also the Western Regional Director of the National Right to Life Committee. We've been working our way through a number of the ballot propositions that will be before you for consideration on Tuesday, November the 3rd. And Brian has been gracious enough to linger with us for a few more minutes as we uh, make our way through this list. Another one that will be, um, again, <laughs> quoting Yogi Berra, deja vu all over again, Proposition 16, which essentially mm -hmm. attempts to repeal Proposition 209 of a number of years ago and would effectively reinstate both race and sex-based preferences. Tell us a bit about this. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, and uh, it's stunning. I think uh, a lot of voters are going to have to look at this carefully because this is the antithesis of, of what we've been talking about, and it's pretty clear. We already know this on the abortion issue, that the state has been violating this particular provision, and that is it's given a lot of money to Planned Parenthood, which is in ink for targeting. They target minorities for elimination. They set up those abortion clinics in minority communities. We've talked about that in the past. But the amazing thing now is it's very clear by repealing the law that says you cannot discriminate. It seems very clear, as you've mentioned, there's an intention to intentionally create reverse discrimination, to intentionally suppress certain groups because of the race and elevate other groups because of their race. And that is, by definition, as Martin Luther King said, we need to judge other people not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So it, to me, this is an alarming 
and such an obvious attempt to create reverse discrimination. So obviously, we're recommending a no. There's another proposition here that, you know, I I guess in the spirit of trying to get a greater degree of voter proposition, it, it, it might have some merit, although it is extremely short-sighted and, and certainly demonstrative of the notion that there are some people in Sacramento that have very little understanding as to what goes on in the mind of a 17-year-old. <laughs> At the mm. end of the day, uh, I think it can be argued that if you can't get a 30 or a 40 or a 50-year-old to understand the importance of participating in self-governance and take 20 minutes out of their schedule once every two to four years to show up at a polling place and let their voice be heard, you're not going to fix the problem by lowering the voting age so that 17-year-olds can suddenly vote in primaries and special elections. I mean, I, I know this sounds ludicrous, but I have to wonder, um, if we get it reduced to 17, why do we have to have a voting age at all? Why can't we just send a 10-year-old in? Well, it is kind of uh, going in that direction. One of the advantages, as you already know, in terms of the political machinery of progressivism, is they want to use the power of the state. And the state, that is government, has vast power. One thing it does is it educates most of our children. But the problem is you can't really call it education anymore. And the reality is that if this is passed, it would allow those who have a vested political interest to indoctrinate, and literally the way it's set up now in California with our voting, literally present and harvest the ballots of these minors without any input from their parents and without any requirement for a countervailing presentation. Planned Parenthood already has free and easy access, but not just that organization. The te- I used to teach. So I have the highest respect for teachers. But the teachers' unions no longer have the students' best interest at heart. They are a political machine that want to benefit their union membership. And unfortunately, they're behind and support a lot of ideology that literally is being presented in these institutions. And it gives them a voting base that literally they can they can control and collect the ballots, if you will, right there. So it's it's a very dangerous proposal, and you're right. Wait a second, why do we even have age limits? Because the presumption is these folks, you're mature. You have the ability to understand. And again, the problem with a lot of younger kids uh, is that unless you get a countervailing presentation, unless you hear the other side of the coin, you're not in the best position to make a decision, and yet this puts them in a very difficult position. Let's uh, move on and deal with Proposition 19. This is another one that, that that's scary. There are a number of aspects of this that are problematic, once again, not least of which is um, California can't manage its own budget, but it certainly wants to help close that budget gap with more money out of your pocket. And this one here essentially um, would would say to anyone who inherits a home um, that that home, when you inherit it, unless it was the principal residence of uh, your parents, say, uh, will be assessed at full market value when transferred 
And of course, that's another way to grab more um, of those Proposition 13 property tax dollars. And sadly, in a scenario like this, you're, you're not protected by the $11 million inheritance tax cap. Uh, th th this would be a boon to the state of California if every time somebody died and you inherited a piece of property, let's say your, your, your parents died, you inherit their house and your grandmother's house, uh, grandmother's house, because it wasn't a principal residence, would now suddenly be stepped up to full property tax value. That's frightening. It is, and it really underscores an aspect of why our government was founded the way it was, is that there has to be limits on government. And America is unique in human history, a government that came into existence that at its founding said, government needs to be limited and controlled. That's why we have our Constitution. But a lot of people don't fully understand why. The fact is, government, once they can take money, they will take money. Once they no longer have accountability, they will not accept accountability. And as you rightly point out, Craig, what we have is a situation that very often they will use emotional arguments like the schools. And as we've already mentioned, there have been so much, there have been so many proposals like the, the lotto. And yet, Education Code Section 1707075 says that this money that they get, they have to be accountable and dedicated to schools and not, be, not squander that money. Well, that's being violated routinely. And the problem is the government is, is using its services to justify taking as much money as possible and it is, if you will, spread around. It's spread around to the unions. It's spread around to the ideologies that want to live off of government. And so this is a very, again, particularly for individual families, this is a huge hit. The previous proposition dealt with corporations and businesses. But now this is, as you said, it's going after the family and the family structure and inheritance. So it's it's uh, a strong no from California pro-life, and particularly we take that stand because of how the schools have been used for more abortion. And that's, again, a Proposition 19, a strong no. Finally, if you would, give us a quick look at Proposition 23. Once again, deja vu all over again. Didn't we just say no to this like a year or two ago? That's right, Greg, and one of the problems is that there there is a a lot of government money that goes into renal care and dialysis. Uh, Americans do have an issue with high blood pressure, with kidney disease, and a lot of it's tied to our diets and our cultural habits, and that's kind of known by a lot of folks. But you may not know that it's very well funded by Medicare, Medi-Cal. There's a lot of money that goes into those treatments. Well, what Proposition 23 does is some of the unions, <laughs> there we are again, that uh, work at these clinics, got this on the ballot, and they want to control the parameters of these dialysis care and, and the regulations governing them, governing them. And so this, in essence, in essence, requires that only the union-controlled clinics will be able to get these rather, rather rich payments from the government. Again, you know about 
Medi-Cal and Medicare fraud. I'm not saying it's fraud, but I'm saying it's well known. There's so much government money that pours into these institutions, and then they're quasi-private, so they're harder to check into. And this basically corners the market. And so they tried it before, you're right, and they failed, and now they're back again. And again, this was paid for by union money. There's um, Proposition 23, and again, a recommended no vote. Brian, we're going to have more time to talk about these, and some folks are going to say, I missed it. Well, check out the podcast, and we will uh, no doubt in the coming weeks heading into the elections uh, be covering these issues with some uh, frequency because they are of such critical importance, and you want to make sure that you're going to the ballot box fully aware and fully informed. Some of this will Thank be discussed you. more in depth coming up on the Saturday edition of Life Matters with Brian Johnston, 11 a.m. Saturday right here on KFAX. Meanwhile, check him out online at CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. Thanks to Brian Johnston for being with us. 616, let's get you an update on traffic.